Colorado avoids an upset, Washington dazzles, and more from week three. Is it all bad news for the Buffs after almost losing to the Rams? Nope. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team-free, but uh, until then, beloved and loaded Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. So Colorado, Washington, and more from week three. It was it was great. Um, better than expected, perhaps. There were still a lot of, you know, blowouts, but guess what? Week four is coming. And uh, much like Colorado, week four, week four is coming, and week four is almost here, and it's going to be fantastic. But I want to talk about the buffs because they had all the pomp and circumstance that you would have expected with college game day, right? Dion's there. The Rock is there. It's there for a game that shouldn't be college game day. Like, by any objective measure, college game day should have been in Gainesville, Florida, for Florida, Tennessee. There's there's no world in which Colorado, Colorado State should have been a better matchup than Florida, Tennessee. It ended up being the matchup that warranted game day. But again, it's Colorado State playing a Mountain West team. But it was all about Dion, which is everything that the people who love Dion love about him. And it's everything that the people who hate Dion hate about him. That he gets it because he's Dion, because he's Coach Prime and he gets to do this stuff. Also, quick note, rushing the field after winning as a 24-point favorite, that's not the look, Buffs fans. That's not the look you want. But, like, Nebraska I get because it was a rivalry a little. But, like, <laughs> you beat a G5 team at home in double overtime. Pump the brakes. But... I think everyone looks at Colorado right now and says, oh, see, they're terrible, awful, over, they're not good. Like, the goalposts have shifted around the buffs so hard, like, so, so very, very hard, which was pretty predictable. Well, they weren't beating good teams. Like, well, TCU's not a bad team. They might not be a college football playoff team. I don't think they're a straight-up bad football team that's going to go, you know, three and nine this year. Nebraska might not be very good, but also Colorado wasn't supposed to be very good. So the fact that they won those games, they deserve full credit. Now they should have lost this game to Colorado State. They should have lost the game, but they won. And that's why I look at this and say, okay, there are more positives than negatives for for Colorado here. Travis Hunter getting hurt—that's a negative. Coming down to the wire against Colorado State at home when you should have been able to blow them out, that's a negative. But the positive is that you won the game when you should have lost. That's what good football teams do. I came on here last week with Kevin Borbo of Lockdown Buffs, and we talked about how you know Colorado has got a tough schedule, but it looks like they could win somewhere between, I, I think, seven to eight games this year, which is way beyond my expectations. Way, way beyond. Right? Like Colorado has already proved that this is a success and that it is working. The Deion Sanders experiment. 
That 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 much has already been proven in so many different ways. But as it pertains to this season, they did not play a good football game against Colorado State. They didn't play a good half against Nebraska. But you know what my takeaway was after Nebraska? I was more impressed with them that week than I was in week one against TCU. Because against TCU, the Horned Frogs made mistakes. Colorado scored a bunch of points, and it was just a shootout. But then against Nebraska, they showed, okay, that's not a great football team. It's still a Power 5 football program, though. And they can win in more than one way. If you're going to be a good football team, you can't have one way that a game can look in order for you to win. So the Buffs come out and Colorado State's giving it to them and they're not taking the shots very well and it's just not playing out the way many, myself included, thought it would. We're not talking about the Pac-12 prime picks. I'll mention that on tomorrow's show. But I look at Colorado and say, okay, so they won with, with their defense making more plays against Nebraska and then they won trailing late in the game against TCU. They won trailing late in the game against Colorado State in a position where they were the favorite. And their quarterback, Shador Sanders, who is phenomenal, like he's he's just phenomenal, takes him 98 yards down the field in like a minute. He's throwing from his own end zone. He goes down the field, touchdown, two-point conversion, easy money. Like it looked like it was so natural and so easy for him. And they are now an even bigger underdog this week against Oregon, I think because of the way this game played out and the Travis Hunter news. But if you're a good football team, like Colorado's going to a bowl game this year, right? They've got ASU and Stanford on the schedule. Like they've got they've got the ability to win at least six football games this year. I, I think they'll probably be in the six to eight range. I think seven is is doable. I think eight is possible. Anything beyond that, I, I don't know just yet, because I think we saw some cracks in Colorado for sure. And last week on the show, I said, look, they're better than I thought. I don't know that they're a Pac-12 contender. Well, they didn't look like a Pac-12 contender on Saturday night. But guess what? Good teams, not necessarily Pac-12 contending teams, but good teams are able to win games when they don't play their best, when things don't go their way, when they suffer a big injury, when they you know, have a bunch of factors working against them, whether it's driven by the other team or by their own team. They're able to find a way to win the football game. And Colorado has shown that they can win close games. Colorado has shown that they can win if they're just a better team then who's lining up on the other side? That's what they showed against Nebraska. They won close games against TCU and now again against Colorado State. To me, that is a net positive for the Buffs. If you're looking at what are the prospects of them winning more games in 2023, which they absolutely will. I think that that shows a lot about the resilience, about the culture, because guess what? They were the big favorites in that game and it was personal, right? It was it was personal and everybody in the world myself included, loved the bus to just blow out the Rams. Oh, Colorado State's got no chance here. Colorado State can't do that. Colorado State can't do that. And it looked as that game went on like Colorado was feeling that pressure. That they were feeling the pressure to run it up, to win by a lot. And suddenly Colorado State should have won the football game. But guess what? They didn't. And at the end of the day, results matter above all else. Style points matter, but not for the way... Not, not, not for what Colorado, I think, is capable of accomplishing this season. Style points don't matter quite as much. The results matter. And they were able to go out and get a result on a day where going into it, we were saying, yeah, they should win by a lot. And guess what? They should have. And then as the game played out, they were able to win. Guess what? Alabama played a really bad football game in horrible weather, mind you, 
against South Florida. They played horribly. Still won the football game. Alabama's not a great team, but they're a good team. Colorado is not a great team, but they're a good team. And that's what they showed against Colorado State. I, I think they're more positive. There are negatives. There are people who are going to jump on the train. See, I told you Colorado stinks. Dion's, uh, you know, uh, overhyped and all this. I hate all this stuff. There are people like that. I get it. I get it. I really, really do. But clearly there is a culture of belief on that buff sideline. I did think it was amusing when uh, Coach Prime said, yeah, I didn't want to, at one point on the sideline, I said, I don't want to have to deal with the press conference here. I mean, it's still not a great look for the Colorado football team overall, but guess what? They won. They won. Colorado State did not, and Colorado State should have won the football game. That's a net positive for uh, the Buffs. Uh, Washington looks incredibly good. I, I mean, like really, really, really good. LinkedIn Jobs also looks good because if you're trying to find a new candidate for your position, LinkedIn Jobs is where you go. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there, create a free job post in minutes, which is really easy. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you are Hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. No terms and conditions on the second segment sip other than perform, consume, enjoy, and continue with the show. So, Washington looks like the exact same football team as last year. If you just said that in a vacuum, wouldn't it sound like, boy, that's not good. Well, remember that they were 11-2 and last year. Won the Alamo Bowl, finished in the top 10, have been preseason top 10. Look, have the Huskies played a good team yet? No, they haven't. Michigan State is a really bad football team. And look, I'll, I'll take the L here, as I have to with the Pac-12 prime picks, I said, look, either Washington's winning by a bunch or Michigan State is going to somehow play better than you think. And uh, I went with, I think they could play better than they think. 2-0, crowd's going to be on fire. I don't know what the weather's going to be in Eastland. Yeah, no, that did not matter. (laughs) That That did not matter whatsoever. First of all, I don't know that I've seen a receiving core as good as Washington. Excuse me, as good as Washington's. Might need another sip. Uh, Give me a moment. Mm, Boy, we need to clear that up. Um, Washington's receiving core is ridiculous. Penix was just torching Michigan State. Michigan State's bad. They're, they're going to have a really, really bad season. The coaching turnover and everything, like, it's a mess. It's still a Power 5 program, right? It's It reminds me a lot of Nebraska. It's a low-level Power 5 football program. And you could say, look, Washington's played a low-level G5 in Tulsa, a good, though not as good as they used to be, G5 in Boise State, and a low-level Power 5 opponent. But here's the thing with Washington. No matter who they've played so far, that's three different calibers of opponents. Not the highest caliber they will play this season, certainly not. But against each opponent they have gone up against so far, they have looked the way a dominant conference contending college football playoff capable team has looked or should look. Because I watch these other teams that people talk about with regards to the college football playoff. 
Alabama just went to play South Florida. Yeah, it was an ugly, ugly weather game. Guess what? Alabama looked ugly, kind of like they did against Texas. Keep looking at the bet. Ohio State, did they dazzle anybody against Indiana? Like, who's been more impressive through three, week, through three weeks so far? Ohio State or Washington? The answer is Washington. Absolutely. Georgia has not been the same version of themselves as they were. It doesn't mean these aren't really good. Yeah, I, was, I thought I said that wrong for a second. So I, it was a late night, early morning. I went to bed at like 5. Anyway, so um, it doesn't mean those aren't good football programs. But they're going up against the same caliber of opponents that Washington is. And the Huskies are just chucking it down the field. Like at some level, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator... He has a mentality with Michael Penix of uh, a joke that runs around on Twitter all the time, which is when Kirk Cousins is playing, the mindset is, screw it. They use a different word. Screw it. Justin Jefferson's down there somewhere. That's how it feels with Washington, but in a more organized fashion. Because Jalen Polk is really good. Jalen McMillan is really good. Roman Dunze is really good. The catches that these guys made against Michigan State, who also, you know, have a horrific pass defense. So it's a really, really bad matchup, or it was. Um, the catches these guys are making all the time, I, I, I don't know that there's a better receiving core in the country. I haven't seen one. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best individual receiver in the country, but who goes three deep like Washington does? Jeremy Bernard's the fourth. Like, that's your fourth wide receiver? That's a pretty good receiving core. It's uh, really, really good. And, I mean, the the deep balls that Penix is able to connect on with these guys, they're just hard to stop. Like, they push the ball vertically down the field, the likes of which we haven't seen in quite some time. I saw a Husky guy, I think Jordan Reffitt is, is his last name. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Compared this year's Washington team to 2019 LSU. I'd pump the brakes on that direct comparison because that's probably the best college football team we've ever seen. However, stylistically, I agree. It is a bunch of great receivers with a really good quarterback who is not the most mobile guy in the world. I think Burrow's got more mobility than Penix. They have good arms, but not great arms, but their deep balls are just on the money all the time. And they are explosive they're dynamic. Look, they're not going to run the football a lot, but guess what? They don't need to because Michael Penix is leading the country in passing again, and Shador Sanders is up there. The quarterback play in the Pac-12 is somehow over-delivering, even though I hyped it up and others did as well correctly before the season is the best quarterback conference in America. It's the best country or the best conference in the country right now, and the quarterback gap is even wider. It, it, is, it is even wider wider i think the top guys in i mean i watch the sec all the time i don't see an nfl quarterback in the sec like i'm trying to think joe milton no uh graham mertz no whoever alabama starting absolutely not i mean carson beck at georgia what would he be the seventh best quarterback in the pac 12 like sixth maybe he's got talent i like him but it's it's absurd that I think the three best quarterbacks, four best quarterbacks in, in the Pac-12 would start on almost any team in in the country. They, they look so, so good. Like, through three games, I saw a stat that uh, Penix, 
Caleb Williams and Bo Nix have 41 touchdowns in one pick. Like, that's that's comical. That is, that is comically good uh, from the quarterback position. And and Penix is looking fantastic. Bo Nix has looked good. Um, Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams. Shador Sanders is awesome. Cam Ward's been balling. Uh, Jaden Delore can spin it, we know. Uh, shout out to Arizona, by the way. Like, seriously. I, I cannot shout out Arizona enough. I only had one correct spread pick. I, I hated last week's lineup. I'm I'm gonna love my picks this week, but um Arizona's the only reason I didn't go 0 and 5 in the Pac 12 Prime picks. They were the one cover that uh that I had with a nice little 31 to 10 win over UTEP. I think I predicted 38 to 10. So uh that was the only reason I felt good. Everything else was uh was pretty darn bad. But Washington plays Cal this week. Um speaking of Cal, oh goodness. Tough time to have been someone who built up Cal in the offseason. Now, built up is relative. I thought they'd be a 6-6 six and six football team. They should have beaten Auburn. They didn't. And what was that yesterday? Ay, ay, ay. They're a 20.5-point underdog. Might want to get on the dogs before that line moves out to 24. Um, because Cal, boy, that was an uninspired performance. Um, but maybe they bounce back. I don't know. Well, we'll talk about that more as the week goes on. But, uh, man, Washington looked good. Uh, really, really, really good. Like, we thought they were a contender coming into the year. They are. And they, like, e- each of the three games they've played this year, if you compare them to their schedule last year, they've played out in almost the same way. Last year it was Portland State, I think Kent State, and then uh, and then Michigan State. And this year was Boise State, Tulsa, and Michigan State. All six games have looked the same. It's Michael Penix throwing the ball down the field, completing a bunch of passes to his wide receivers, explosive plays, a lot of points. Uh, and and the defense, I, I'm, I'm not going to put too much weight behind what they did against Michigan State because that's a pretty bad football team. But, I mean, the way they threw the football, I, I don't care what Power 5 team you're playing. That was impressive. Um, defensively, Maybe still a question or two in the secondary. I mean, I mean, maybe, but their front four; those guys are gnarly. Uh, Braylon Trison, Zion Tupo, Lafatui. Those are uh, those are a couple of ballers right there. So, which gets me into this uh, conversation, which I I said on Twitter the other day I would start, and we're we're going <clears throat> we're going to start it here now. Context to this discussion: since the summer months, I have held the belief that the Pac-12 will miss the college football playoff in its final iteration as a four-team model because they are going to cannibalize themselves because the league is too deep. I see a bunch of really good teams, and I don't see a dominant team. I'm not wavering off of that prediction because everyone looks so good that the idea of going through with your schedule and the Pac-12 championship game and having one loss which is what is required. You have to be a one-loss conference champion or a one-loss 12-win team. You either have to go 12-0 and and lose in the conference championship game like TCU did, or you have to be 11-1 and and win the conference championship game. Either way, someone has to be 12-1 and by the end of the year. It's hard to see that happening, but there's another discussion that I find compelling. One of those discussions is about FanDuel because right now new customers can get $200 in bonus bets 
guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So snap into action as NFL and college football is in season in full swing with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action because you've got you know everything you need. So the app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on kickoff the NFL season and keep it rolling with NFL and college football. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okay, so when I look at the Pac-12 and how loaded team schedules are and how good the teams are, it is hard to foresee a world in which a team gets through with only one loss because there's so much interplay between these teams. Utah has got to play a bunch of teams. If Cam Rising gets back healthy, they've got UCLA this week in a top 25 matchup. Oregon has got Colorado, has got USC, has got Washington, has got Utah and Oregon State. Washington's got Utah and Oregon State and Oregon and USC. Like It's tough. It's really, really tough. But the Pac-12, if I am wrong, if I am, if I am incorrect, and someone gets through it with only one loss, that team is in the playoff no matter what. If people across the country are paying attention the way that they should be, the Pac-12 could send two teams to the college football playoff. I want you to find me the conference that looks like it has the depth of the Pac-12 at the moment. You can't find one. And George Reister was making this point, and I think he is correct, that if the SEC were as loaded as the Pac-12 is right now and as deep as the Pac-12 is right now, you would be talking about the possibility of the SEC getting two teams into the playoff with a one-loss conference champion and perhaps a two-loss team getting into the playoff. We haven't seen a two-loss team make the college football playoff in the four-team era, but boy, the stars are aligning for it. The AP Top 10 came out. The Pac-12 has got three teams in there and the number 11 team in the country in Utah. Oregon 10, and then USC and Washington are both inside the top 10. I forgot exactly where they they stood. Let me do-do-do-do. Let me pull that up real quick. Oregon 10, Washington 8, USC 5, Utah 11, Oregon State 14, Washington State 21, UCLA 22, uh, Colorado at 19. Okay. If that were the SEC, you would talk about how, well, you know, a loss to uh, a really good Alabama team isn't going to kill you very much. It's basically not going to count if you play them tight. Fact check, true. Why can't that exist in the Pac-12? Great example of what I'm talking about with the Pac is uh, Tennessee was supposed to be good. They've fallen to number 23 in the country. They were approaching the top 10. They went and got housed. Not beaten, housed by Florida. Like it was a multi-possession game. Florida was the better football team on that day. That Florida team that is capable of beating a top 25 SEC program at the moment went into Utah facing a backup quarterback and the Utes took their lunch money. 
<laughs> like the game was hardly competitive. The first sequence was Utah forces a punt and chucks a 70-yard touchdown with their backup quarterback, who is currently not good enough to start for him. So the SEC, which everybody loves, and look, I'm a Pac-12 guy, but I have been a realist on the SEC. For years, Pac-12 fans have lamented SEC bias. There are elements of it that I do not care for. On the whole, I have been in favor of it because they've always had better players and better teams. Well, guess what? It's a new world of college football. Alabama is not a very good football team. They, 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 are, they are just not. They might be top 25. Okay. But Alabama is not very good. Which, I, I mean, whoever they're starting at quarterback all the time would be probably 10th in the Pac-12. I'm not making that up. It's not over-exaggeration. He'd probably be 10th. They, they, they do not have the same feel as they used to. And brand power in college sports is a really powerful thing. And when you look at the Pac-12, I, I think it's hard to go through at one loss. But if you were, think about this. If you're a two-loss conference champion, let's, let's, let's take Washington, for instance. Let's say they win the Pac-12. And they're an eleven. They're a, that would make them yeah an eleven and two football team at the end of the regular season. If your losses are to say Utah at home and USC on the road, but then you have come back in the Pac-12 title game and beaten one of them, doesn't that kind of negate the loss? What if they lost to Oregon State on the road? Play them again in the Pac-12 championship game. That's going to basically erase the loss. And there's precedent for that. Not in the two-loss sense, but Oregon in 2014, when they won the Pac-12 and got to the college football playoff, they lost at home to a good Arizona team that was in the top 10 by the time the season came to a close. But guess what? They went back and beat them in the Pac-12 championship game, which solidified Oregon getting into the playoff and also being... I think they were the number three seed instead of number four. Because if you have a chance to go back, play the team that maybe just barely scraped by and you beat them in the, in the conference championship game, how can you view that loss the same way? So if USC, for instance, were to lose to Oregon and then beat them in the Pac-12 championship game, how is that the same as being a two-loss team where you lose to... Just as an example, let's say Washington were to lose to Oregon State and Utah, but then beat USC in the Pac-12 championship game. That's not the same thing. That's not even close to the same thing. So when you put that kind of conversation and kick around these ideas, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Now, here's the problem. This is a sport that is still, at some level, biased against the Pac-12. Always has been. We've seen it time and time again. Best example, Christian McCaffrey not winning the Heisman. This is the mo that is when I stopped paying attention to Heisman Trophy races. I was like, okay, this is just dumb. This is, this is not, that's utterly ridiculous. But that's the way that it works. And look, the Pac-12 is doing a lot to bolster its reputation. Do I think it's done enough, in my view, to warn a two-loss team getting into the playoff? If you have that comeback factor, I think the answer is yes. But is the rest of the country going to see it that way? I bet you they won't. I bet you they won't. I would love for them to, but I can't see it. So the way that 
the pack could get two teams into the college football playoff. If you have a really good 10 and two team that misses out on the college football playoff or misses on the pack 12 championship game, you know, if you've got a really, really tight loss and then another regular loss, but then some really, really good wins, maybe you could. Cause I, I, I just go up and down here and yeah, Notre Dame has looked really good and Ohio state. I don't know about them. Florida state has looked good. I get it. There are a lot of teams out there. A one-loss Pac-12 champion is almost certainly getting in. But I just wonder, you know, if, if, I, if I am wrong and someone, USC, for instance, who have an easy schedule and then it gets really, really hard on the back end, but let's say Lincoln Riley's a very good coach. Let's say they go 12-0 and then lose in the Pac-12 title game to Oregon or Washington or Utah or Oregon State, who then improved to 11-2 and and would have lost not Oregon State because they don't play them, but would have lost to USC in the regular season, beat them in the Pac-12 title game. How could you keep that 11-2 team, be it Utah, Oregon, or Washington, if they were to come back and beat USC after losing to them in the regular season? A 12-1 SC has to get in. And then the team that beats them, how, how could you not put them in? It depends. Like It, it, it certainly depends. But I think the conversation is warranted because this is a loaded conference. It is as deep as it's ever been. It's a damn shame it's going away because this is an awesome league and it is the best conference in America. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.